Diversity. Diversity is a very popular word these days. A young woman I know was telling me about the, the neighborhood where she had just moved. And she exclaimed, it's so diverse. I love it. Schools teach diversity. The idea that each child is different and that those differences are not only to be recognized, but they are to be encouraged. Workplaces offer diversity training. I found this statement about diversity on a website that encouraged global practices to recognize diversity. And the website stated this. Diversity allows for the exploration of these differences in a safe, positive, and nurturing environment. It means understanding one another by surpassing simple tolerance to ensure people truly value their differences. This allows us both to embrace and also to celebrate the rich dimensions of diversity contained within each individual and place positive value on diversity in the community and in the workforce. Now, hearing that statement, you might either say, boy, that sounds great. You might think, well, that sounds just a little bit over the top. But to others, that statement might even sound just a little bit nauseating. Because you've heard so much about diversity, it makes you want to barf. The truth is, treating people equally and celebrating the different gifts that God has given to each other and the differences that are in each one of us is biblical. And so we do celebrate our diversity. We celebrate the diversity that God has created in us so that we might better serve him. Every one of us is different. Look around this room. No one looks the same. We serve differently. We work differently. Our approach to life might be different. Our gifts and our talents, they, they vary. Our ancestry can be somewhat diverse. Paul referred to our gifts and service, service differences in verses 4 through 7 in our first scripture reading this morning. Basically, he said God made us different. But there's one spirit, one Lord, and one purpose for the gifts God has blessed us with. These spiritual gifts from God are to serve the common good. And yet when we talk about diversity, there are limits. We celebrate diversity within the teaching of the Bible. And sadly, so much of what is encouraged as diversity in our culture doesn't come from God. In fact, some of it goes against the truth of God. It doesn't serve the common good, and instead of uniting people, it actually divides us. And before I go any further, I want to make one point very clear. We love everyone. We love everyone. But we also recognize that all diversity is not beneficial. Our culture, in some ways, is sending this message that to be very different is to be better. And it kind of makes me wonder, because didn't the whole diversity thing and the tolerance thing start out by saying that we're all different, but that we're equal? And, and yet now, if you, you listen to the culture, it seems to be saying that if we aren't really different, and different in the way, the right way, the way culture wants to be different, we're less than equal. If we look like the majority of people, sometimes there's even a little bit of shame associated with that. It goes against, though, this whole idea of equality. 
this warped diversity in indoctrinations is starting in our schools at a very young age. Schools are teaching so much that goes against God these days. For example, there is a push to teach children about gender identity and sexual orientation at very young ages. You may have heard this in the news. Florida recently banned such teaching for children ages kindergarten to third grade. And the governor of Florida took a lot of heat from the media and from Disney Corporation. See, this, the media made this law into something that it really was not. And of course, sometimes that's the only side being broadcast to the majority of people. And I get kind of aggravated with this, because I think it's ridiculous. What third grader, what third grader needs to be taught about sexual orientation? Much less a child in kindergarten. Do they need to start questioning their identity as a boy or a girl or whatever at that age? This is my opinion, but to promote such thinking is child abuse. A novel approach to school would be to teach kids to read and write and do arithmetic instead of pushing the culture's latest agenda. Now, as I speak to you this morning, you might disagree with me, and that's okay, but I think the Bible is clear in one area. We were created male and female. God is not confused. People are very confused. We were created in God's image. And let me say this again. We were created different from each other. We look different. We think differently. We have different talents and gifts given to us by God. And so diversity, when presented properly, is something that's great. When people unite around their God-given diversity, it makes for a stronger community, and it leads to a stronger church. This morning, we're going to use our reading from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 27, to discover how that we as a church can be better together when our God-given diversity is celebrated in unity. First, Paul made it very clear that we're diverse. In verse 13, he wrote, For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And Paul here was basically saying to the church at Corinth, he was saying, we're the church, we are one body, but we're made up of all different kinds of people. And then in verses 15 through 17, he repeated that same idea. Paul spoke of the body being made up of hands and feet and ears and eyes, and each one is different, but they belong together. In verse 20, he said, there are many parts, yet one body. We're different. You're going to hear that a lot this morning. We're different. We have different gifts and talents. But if we're Christians, we're called to be united in Christ. Several years ago, Mary and my wife went to an evangelical free conference in Des Moines, Iowa. And there were several speakers over the two days of this conference, and all of them were good, but one of these speakers really stood out. He wasn't part of the e-free. He was an invited guest. His, his title and name was Bishop E.W. Jackson. Bishop E.W. Jackson was a guy who was filled with the Spirit, and man, could he preach. He was getting amens and uh-huhs from a crowd that was mostly white, sit-on-your-hands type of white folk. Amen. Amen. <laughs> 
Bishop Jackson brought people to tears with his message of unity and standing on the truth. And there's one thing that he said that has stuck in my head all these years. He said, my black skin is just the house I live in. In other words, it's just the color. It doesn't define the man. Bishop Jackson went on to say, he said, if God made us with all the same skin color, but if we still had different eye colors like brown and black and green and hazel or blue eyes, he said, it's not hard to imagine that it wouldn't be too long before the blue-eyed people would start getting together amongst themselves and looking down at people that had different color eyes. Everyone would begin to associate only with the people who had the same eye color. Now maybe it's a stretch, but the result of that would be disunity. Bishop Jackson said the cause of this disunity is sin. Our sin is the problem. In our sin, we want everyone to look and think and act like us. And while we might like that, while I might like that, that would be really boring. And it wouldn't work as well as it could. Our community, our nation, our churches would not perform as well as they could. Think about the Cardinals baseball team. Adam Wainwright is a legend. He is a man of great faith, and he's probably going to go down as one of the Cardinal greats. But what if, what if all the Cardinals had was a bunch of Wainwright clones? Who would catch? Who would play the outfield? Who would hit? Now, Adam's such a great athlete that he could probably do all those things reasonably well, and he'd probably tell you that he could do them all well. But to win, we need guys who are excellent at each specific position. Different talents are needed. I think Adam Wingwider would agree that he is no Nolan Arenado at third base. And it's the same in the church. If everyone was a ball-headed preacher, who'd play the organ? Who'd play the guitar? Who would sing? Who would clean? Who would teach the children? Now, there are a few ball-headed preachers that could do some of that stuff. But again, there are so many others in the church that would do it so much better. Christian diversity makes the church stronger. Listen to this picture the church presented in Revelation 7-9. John writes this, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now as he writes this, the Lamb is Jesus, and this is what the church looks like in heaven. It's how the church is supposed to look today. In heaven there will be biker dudes worshiping next to little old ladies. There will be Chinese, Caucasians, and Africans singing the same song. Police officers and ex-cons will be hugging each other as they praise the Lord. There'll be some surprises. Some people who we would never have guessed would be there going to have a seat at the heavenly table. We're diverse. God made us that way. And we should appreciate our differences in the church. Our diversity also means that we're needed. Every one of you is needed. Paul made it clear in his body metaphor that each member of the church is important. Each member is needed. Listen to his words again. He said, if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? 
As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And then he went on to say that the eye can't tell the hand that it doesn't need it. The head would never say to the feet, I can handle life without you. And Paul even went further and he said that the so-called weaker parts of the body are actually the ones that are indispensable. The seemingly less honorable parts are the ones that should be honored the most. He wrote, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked honor. This is telling you and me that no matter what we look like, or where we came from, or what we do in life, or what we do in the church, we have great value. Each person and their gifts are needed in the church. God calls us to do different things depending on the gifts that he has given us. There's ushers, there's teachers, board members, musicians, event volunteers, staff, men's and ladies groups, greeters, prayer warriors, nursery care, ground and building helpers. There's kids, teens, young adults, and older people, and every one of us in the church has value. No one is greater than another one. And every one of us is needed for this church known as the Bethesda to function as God intended. None of us should look at another person and think that we're better than them or that we ha- what we have to offer God is somehow better than what they have to offer. And in the same way, though, we shouldn't feel badly that someone else seems to be getting more attention. We shouldn't feel badly that somebody else, boy, they seem so much more talented than I. We all have a role. We all have several roles to play in the church. Let me ask you this question. What is your role in the church? What do you do to help the body of Christ? Now, before anyone starting to feel a little comfortable and feel like they don't be cl- belong because they're not really actively involved in much in the church, you need to listen to what I'm going to say next. These days and any days, just showing up is a blessing. Just being here on a Sunday morning, just watching online is a blessing. Participation in Sunday morning worship blesses us all as we glorify God. But that being said, God's called us to do more. We all play a, a role in God's great big story. God has written the beginning of the story. We know the end, how it's going to come out. We know much of the middle of the story, but the middle's not complete. And we live in the middle of God's story. And what that means is what you do and what I do, it matters. That means that every one of us is needed to do our part to fulfill the story of God redeeming his people. We work together to glorify God. It's plain and simple. And we do that because we're united. We are one body united in purpose. In our first reading, it said that we were all given gifts from God to serve the common good and what that basically is saying again is we have a purpose the church have a has a purpose every person within the church has a purpose we unite as one body to get the job done and this is something that the confirmands here every year and i kind of preach it every year too so you're gonna hopefully this will be familiar but as the church we 
serve God in worship. We serve one another in nurture. And we serve the world in mission. Worship, worship is seen every Sunday morning as we gather together as this family known as Bethesda. We worship through our prayers, our praise, and our actions actually throughout the week. We worship God because we recognize that God made us. He created everything. God is the one that gives us the very next breath that we take. He is sovereign. And Jesus came to live as one of us in this messed up, dirty world. He died a horrible death to pay the penalty that we deserve for our sins. He took on our sins. And then Jesus rose again to promise us the gift of life today and for eternity. Jesus has all the authority over heaven and earth. And so what do we do? We worship him. The disciple Peter tells us that we are to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's worship. Psalm 33 says, shout for the Lord. Psalm 47 reads, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm 96 commands, worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. What Paul was saying is that we worship God in everything we do. We also, though, serve each other in nurture. We care for one another. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, Paul tells the church, he says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother caring for her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own lives. Because you had become very dear to us. Nurture is a picture of a mom and a child. But as you can see on the screen, nurture might also be the picture of a granddad with his grandbabies. In verse 26 of our reading, it says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We're a family. And families rejoice together. And families hurt together. And they help each other grow in the faith. To nurture is to disciple each other. And it's the obligation of every follower of Christ to help others grow as followers of Christ. You might be sitting there thinking, I can't do that, but you can. God gave you the ability to do that. The obligation of every person who follows Jesus Christ, who calls him Lord and Savior, is to help someone else or several other people grow as followers of Christ. And discipleship, the great thing about discipleship is it doesn't just stay inside these walls. It goes to the end of the earth. The third part of our church's purpose is to serve the world in mission. Just before he ascended to heaven, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's our mission. At Bethesda, we paraphrase that mission this way. We say, in Christ, 
We love people, we impact our community, and we make disciples. And so the church is a picture of unity and diversity. We're different. We're needed. God has given us a purpose as individuals and as the church. And so this morning, I'm going to close with a, a challenge for us. The challenge is pray for five. Pray for five. Over the next few months, I am challenging each one of us to pray for five new families. These are families that, that may end up coming through our door on a Sunday morning. They could be five families that we impact through our ministries or our mission work here at church. They might be five families that we meet at work or in our neighborhood or wherever we are during the week. These five families in some ways may be similar to us, but they also might be a whole lot different than us. Now we're diverse, but one thing I can say is we can all pray. And we all can play a different role. Some of you are great at welcoming, and you'll welcome fa a family into church and help them feel at home. Others will share their faith with them. Still others, through their giving, will help out, or through a tangible action of love, will help. We'll disciple them at work and in our neighborhood. The, the purpose of praying for five families is not necessarily for new people to show up here every Sunday morning, although that would be great. Our purpose, though, in praying for these five families is to share the love and the truth of Jesus Christ with them. We pray that they end up at a Bible-believing church, whether it's our church or some other church. Our purpose is for, them, is for them to unite with us in the overall body of Christ and for them to be contributing members of that body as we, the church and individuals, seek to follow Jesus and glorify God. Maybe, maybe somebody, God will put somebody very specific on your heart and you'll pray for them. Or maybe you'll just pray for some unknown family that you don't know by name, you've never met. God knows who the five will be. And God also knows if it's going to be five or one or two or ten or twenty families. Our part is to simply work together using our gifts to serve. We'll trust God to do what is best. And so I'm going to ask you to pray every week at least one time for the five. We'll pray for them here on many Sunday mornings as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is so good to be here today. It's so good to look out and see these people who in some ways look a lot alike, in other ways look very different. Uh, uh, people who have different gifts and abilities, who have different personalities, who serve in different ways. Father, help us to, to celebrate our differences as we bring glory to you and as we serve for the common good. But Lord, there are families that aren't here this morning. They're not in any church anywhere. And so we want to pray for them. Maybe we know them by name. Maybe we don't. But Father, we ask that you hear our prayers and that you touch these five families or however many they might be. 
that you bring us into their lives or someone else into their lives that will love them and care for them and show them your love and that will guide them into the truth. Father, help us to be obedient. Help us to remember to pray. Help us to remember to be thankful. And Father, we know that the results are up to you. And so, however this praying works out, we know that you will be glorified and your will will be done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This time, if you can, please stand as I...